0: invite you to open your Bibles to Exodus 35. I know our reading was in 40, the end. That's where we're going to get. We're going to start in 35. Six chapters. World record for personal best for, for Todd. Um, there is a, a, a note sheet uh, at, the, at the entrance if you'd like to get, grab one um, and make notes along the way. Uh, quite an emotive weekend. Emotive week. Um, sorry for this. You know, we go from we believe, which I pray it each does, that second and third round. Um, like, those are the fundamentals of how our whole movement started. Those, those five elements in the second round and the third round. And you can do your homework and find out what the five fundamentals back in 1930s were, right? Um... But that got me going, and then, then this is powerful. Um, Friday evening, uh, after after the wedding rehearsal, we're driving home, and there was this. Let me start the clock. Not that it's always helped, <laughs> but at least a measure of accountability. Um, we were driving home, and. Did you see the fullness of the moon? And is that what you call a harvest moon? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was fantastic. And it made me wish I was out camping. <laughs> well, kind of. Um, Friday night, the 29th, also marks the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles for the Jewish community. It's an it's a eight-day uh, festival. And here we are talking about, the tabernacle. Doesn't that just get you going? That's that's pretty neat. Now there's three fall festivals within the scriptures. You can read about them in Leviticus 23 and it begins with the Feast of Trumpets on the 15th uh, of September and then rounds out with with this, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Tabernacles is the last of of the fall festivals. It's significant uh, in its anticipation It it, it reminds the Jewish people of their wandering in the wilderness and that they they lived in tents for 40 years. Um, And that the Lord himself dwelt with them in a tent. He, He didn't live in an ivory palace and then, oh, you people out there, no, he was in the midst of his people in a tent along with them. And now we, we read of the construction of God's house, his, his living abode. And it, it really is similar construction to what uh, a typical living dwelling might be, uh, with furniture and everything, a table to eat, and all kinds of, of wonderful things. And where we picked up the reading at the end of Exodus is really not the end of the story, uh, in in the, the original documents, uh, the way it was written, it just goes right on into Leviticus. We won't do that, um, though it would be quite interesting in study in itself. Um, it just keeps on going. But we're going to round this out, and, and it, it tells us that Moses finished the work. It, it resonates with a couple of dynamics. It resonates with uh, the creation order. God finished his work and rested. And then the new creation order, you have the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross saying, it is finished. Well, Moses anticipates someone greater than himself. Moses anticipates the the coming of the true anointed one, the Messiah, the prophet, priest, and king all wrapped up, rolled up into one person. Hebrews tells us that Moses was indeed faithful. uh, Hebrews 3 verse 2, Moses was faithful in all God's house. And verse 5 says, he was faithful in all God's house as a servant. He'll go on to say, but Jesus was faithful as a son. Anticipating even greater, but even at this point in in biblical history, in the narrative of Exodus, and the life of Moses, we can say, "Well done, good and faithful servant." The work appears to be complete, at least this stage of it. Now, the instructions, if we would go from 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, uh, repeat much of the same, if not. Almost identically the same as the material in chapters 25 to 31. 25 to 31, Moses received instructions from the Lord of what the heavenly realm looks like. Of what the heavenly tabernacle, the way they worship in heaven. And Jesus, uh, Jesus, probably the pre-incarnate Jesus, the eternal son anyway, father, son, and spirit, show Moses on the mount what this earthly tabernacle is to look like patterned after the way it is in heaven. Now that, that messes with our time and space concepts, doesn't it? It's a place. Heaven's a place. Heaven's a place. But, well, this pattern then forms that basis of 25 to 30, 31. Now we come to I'm sorry, yeah 25 to and now it's 35 to 39, but it's in reverse order. The, the first listing started at the center, uh, the ark of the covenant, the, the throne of God Himself, where He resides. Started from the center and worked its way outward theologically. But now that it's actually time to build and construct, they they, they work from gathering of the materials. And then from the outside in, finishing with finally putting the furniture inside the house. And some families are quite aware of what it is to put furniture back into a house after moving or some issue like that. Well, this, is, this in a sense, this is moving day is what we're working toward in Exodus chapter 40. And all of this was anticipated... Early on in Exodus chapter 3 verse 12, the whole purpose of God redeeming a people, bringing them out of Egypt, is so that they might worship him. This is anticipated. Um, Exodus 3 verse 12. The Lord is with Moses on the mountain the first time. and, And Moses is there on holy ground. And the Lord says, I will be with you. And this will be a sign for you that I've sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt you will serve God on this mountain. Moses is to bring the people out of Egypt back to the very same mountain where he met with the Lord and says, we, we, we will serve the Lord. Serve is the same word for worship. The whole purpose of God in redeeming a people, saving a people, forming a people, calling a people to be his own bride is that they might worship him, that they might serve him. In fact, not just as servitude, but to actually be able to go into his abode, into his dwelling place, into the house as his bride. To enter even into the holiest of holies, into the very chamber room of God himself and consummate an intimate relationship. Wow. All this anticipated. Now, here are the people. And we're going to make our applicational headings just four of them as we work through these these chapters and they're not even in size so forgive me for that but I think it makes some sense It begins with resting chapter 35 verses 1 to 3 Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do six days Work shall be done. But on the seventh day, you shall have a Sabbath, a Shabbat, a seventh of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it will be put to death, capital crime. And you shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. At the very beginning of construction, God reminds the people... That it all begins first by resting. He reminded this at the close of that instruction unit. Chapter 31 and verse 12 and following. There was another reminder of the Sabbath. Why is this so significant? Why does this repeat? In fact it's maybe even more odd to us. Because it's a command that does not directly repeat in the New Testament us. Yeah, there are certainly creation order principles that do apply to us. Now, here's, the, here's the issue for Moses and the people in Exodus time. Even as grand of a project is this. The building constructing of the tabernacle. The, the dwelling place of God himself. The one who saved them. As big and fantastic of a project as it is, it is not reason to go against God's ways. You still begin every project with rest. Now, this is counterintuitive. Like, we do the project in order to get to the rest. Now, there's an element of of work first. Think of the creation order. In six days, God created the world as as we know it. And on the sixth day itself, he created man and woman. And in between the creating of the man and the woman, God had a job for Adam to do. And it was partly instructional for Adam as much as it was um, having that dominion that he's to be responsible for. He was to categorize and name The animal kingdom. So the animals parade. Uh, I don't know if they're parading in front of him or he's walking through the garden. I'd kind of like to think that he's on a stroll walking through the garden. And as as he's going along, ha, look at that. Let's call that a thingamajig. (laughs) He classifies the animal kingdom. Now, okay, this is a footnote. It is, it is inherent in the character and the nature of God and we who are created in the image of God to put things into categories. So don't just completely dismiss that when, you, when someone pigeonholes you. Oh, well, you're a fundamentalist. Yeah, whatever you mean by it might be different than what I mean by it, but okay. Okay footnote Um, but no sooner does Adam finish that walk through the garden and God says you need a nap and so he, he like I mean it's the deepest nap the world of history has ever known and he's out and during that time now that Adam has learned from observing that huh the animal kingdom is in pairs, male and female, so that they might multiply. And the Lord told me to be fruitful and multiply. I don't think I can do that. And now that Adam is aware and taught by the Lord himself, the creation order, God now forms from his own side, his rib, a woman that would be his complement, his completer, that the two together would be able to fulfill the creation mandate, the the word of the Lord to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it, to, to rule it as a steward, a gardener of the paradise of God. And to expand the garden across the face of the globe. That was his charge they they meet one another and it was love at first sight and you know they're ready to get to it and the lord says no we're going to rest first tomorrow is a rest day then we'll start the work this is in the order of creation and ironically in serving the lord here's where when you're preaching you become the biggest hypocrite in the world. In in serving the Lord, the temptation is to neglect a foundational aspect of service. And the first foundational aspect of service is to rest in the Lord, with the Lord. The temptation, the, the press, the urge... Of society and the world around us is completely opposite. And it is in the ministry realm as well. Here's a classic example. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, we have the the Mary and the Martha narrative. Can I read this force? Luke 10, 38. Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, that is the Lord, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. It it sounds like your children in the kitchen growing up, isn't it? But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Mary is enjoying the presence of the Lord. Martha is serving the Lord, but not enjoying His presence. Now we can serve and enjoy the presence at the same time but it must be intentional. In fact the the day of rest is not a day of inactivity rather it's activity that centers on a relationship with God. We're we're so spoiled in western society. We're, We're afforded this time even in a secular society that's living for the weekend, they've forgotten why they even have it. And and in time, the 24-7 world is creeping even into their weekend because they've forgotten this foundation. A day when we're able to rest in the presence of the Lord. And Jesus invites you. He invites you right now. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Yes. He invites us. The resting. It all begins foundationally there. Then comes the giving. And this is a big section, chapter 35, verse 4, all the way through chapter 36 and verse 7. And then it picks up again in chapter 38, 21, verse 31. And there is a a recounting of all the materials, the invoice, the quartermaster schedule, the warehouse. This is a people that is... Generous in their giving. Gregarious in their giving. Willing hearts. Over again, it's repeated for us. Here's just a couple of the phrases. Chapter 35, verse 21. Everyone whose heart was moved and whose spirit prompted him. Verse 22. All who had willing hearts. Verse 26. Whose hearts were moved. Again, chapter 35, verse 29. Whose hearts moved them. Wow. Moving hearts. That is a generous heart. Chapter 35 verse 5. And they keep on giving. They give so much that in chapter 36 verse 3 we're told Moses has to say stop. Have you ever heard the elders here at Grace ever say enough? (laughs) But I would say grace is characteristically A generous giving people. A generous giving people. Um, Not only financially, but your cards of encouragement to folks and serving one another with, with meals and all kinds of things. Generous generosity marks the people of grace. And we're encouraged to excel in this gift of giving. Give until... Did I miss them? No? Okay. Give. Give. Silver and gold. Um, chapter 35 and following. Uh, 35 verse 22 and following. Gold and silver and bronze. So if we, we put it into our, our days of measurement, it's like... 2,193 pounds of gold. Talk about a gold standard. Um, 6,500 pounds of silver. 4,500 pounds of bronze. Where'd they get this? They're slaves. They were slaves. Where do they get 1.1 tons of gold and 3.25 tons of silver and 2.25 tons of bronze? They asked their neighbors when they left Egypt, remember? Wow. The Egyptians were generous. They just handed it over to God's people. But not only the stuff, the skills... Chapter 35 and verse 10, um, verses 30 to 35, the beginning of chapter 36. But here's, let's just highlight. Chapter 35, verses 25 to 26. Every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. Uh, Your skill, your talent... When you come to know the Lord is now redirected for his service in his household for himself and for all of his people. Some some of those skills and talents I suppose look look quite prominent, you know, whether it's the instruments and vocalists, the teachers, but every skill, the hospitality. The warm greetings, uh, the in- words of encouragement, even more significant times of counsel. You're cooking, you're baking, you know, making good coffee. Now you have to have good coffee to start, right? But it's, it's a skill. And you have been given interests and skills to make us all feel good and enjoy. But remember where it came from. God gave it to you. God gave it to you. It's His. A resource that He's given you to to steward and to steward well. So we can be generous in the old classic outline. We can be generous with our treasure. And we can be generous with our time. And we've been generous with our talents. The people are resting and now they're giving. And then it gets to the building. The bigger section. Chapter 36 verse 8 to 38 verse 20. And again, picked up in chapter 39. And they follow the Lord's pattern. And the account, the, the account ends in chapter 39, verse 32, with an inspection. Moses is going through. He's inspecting everything that the people did. And, and it says that they've constructed everything exactly that matches the instructions they received from the Lord in heaven. The word commanded in, in the English translation, um, is there 25 times. That's a lot. 25 times. Now, specifically in chapter 39, 10 times it says, as the Lord commanded Moses. And then it says a couple times the people did, as the Lord commanded Moses. In chapter 40, seven times... It's as the Lord commanded him. And then verse 33, chapter 40. It is finished. As Josh read for this for us earlier. He erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar. And he set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses... Finished the work. His work was complete, it was done. And they did it exactly the way God said to do it. No shortcuts and no protractions, no embellishments. Exactly the way God had commanded them. Total obedience to God's instructions to God's word. It doesn't matter how the project turns out. If you have not followed the pattern given by the Lord, it's a failure. Embellish all that you like. But if it's not according to God's ways, it's wrong. The Christian life is not justified By the end. The end does not justify the means in the Christian life. Every thought, every word, every deed is to be in conformity with the mind of Christ. Paul would instruct um, the Corinthians who, I mean, they talk about talent and giftedness and generosity. They, They had it all. But Paul warns them in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6. He says, learn by us, by us apostles. Do not go beyond what is written. This is the first century church, right? Paul planted this church in his missionary journey. You think it's perfect. No, even then, right there from the start. The admonition is, do not go beyond what is written. Hmm. The half-brother of Jesus. That would be James, the son of Joseph and Mary. James chapter 1, verse 21. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, thus deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer only and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So easily we come to this mirror on a Sunday morning a Lord's Day morning and we, we look into the mirror of scripture and it reflects back to us the character and the image of Christ and we think, wow I have a ways to go uh, a few spots blemishes wrinkles that need to be removed by the washing of the word and up we go and down we get our donuts and we've completely forgot about the wrinkles and blemishes spiritually speaking I'm all for the halo-shaped pastries. But off we go and we completely forget what God revealed to us in the deep recesses of our character, our being, our heart. And we don't go doing what He's instructed us to, to do and to be. Follow the Word of the Lord and follow His Word implicitly. We're a Bible church. We tease once in a while that Bible is our middle name. And it is. But I'm afraid we have drifted a bit in our experience. And, and I'm, I fear that there's a deficit of knowing the Word of God. And no wonder it's difficult to be transformed because that's the means by which we are formed into the character and the nature of Christ. His word. He prays for us in John chapter 17, verse 17. He prays to the Father says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. No, this this is so crucial. Building. Building. Constructing. Being transformed into the image of Christ. Finally, indwelling. And this is where we pick up in our reading earlier. Chapter 40. It's finally moving day. We get to go in. There's the pattern of the tabernacle. The the pattern is of, of cosmological importance. The, the, the tabernacle has uh, imagery of the garden, the original Garden of Eden. And, and the entryway faces east, the direction from which Adam and Eve had been banished from the garden. And so the entry is on the east side so that we, we come and approach God again from the east and, and enter in. Just symbolic. Um The goal is to get back into the garden. And in Revelation we have the new creation, which is the paradise of God, a garden multiplied. Not just one tree of life, twelve whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. There is the presence of God. The presence of God comes and fills the tabernacle. We're told this twice that His glory fills the tabernacle. Now, no no matter how expensive or expansive the tabernacle was, without the presence of God, it's just another tent. Just another tent. But when God is there, it's the abode of His glory. This is known as the, the Shekinah glory, the, the dwelling place of God's glory. It's kind of related to that idea of dwelling. And in our previous narratives, we were told how Moses would go into the tent of meeting and he would meet with God face to face and his, 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 the Lord's glory would, would shine upon the continents of Moses. But this time... Even Moses can't stay in. Even Moses is pressed out by the weight of God's glory. You thought gold was heavy. The weight of God, the Shekinah glory of God presses down upon you. The the weightiness of His worth and being. And there will be a day when all will feel the worthiness, the weight of His glory and we will be pressed so that every knee will bow under the weight of His glory. The glory of the Lord, as wonderful an experience as it was for them in the Old Testament, was not in its fullness. And even Moses, as he would go into the tent of meeting and radiate the glory of God's presence. It wasn't in its fullness. But one day Moses got to see that glory of God face to face. The the Gospels tell this, we'll pick Matthew's recounting Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says there're some of my disciples here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. And after 6 days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up a high holy mountain to the, a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun his clothes became white as light and behold there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Finally, Moses gets to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Elijah too. The fullness of God's glory manifest in his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter's response, classic. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. And if you like, We'll make three tents here, three tabernacles here, three booths. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, then behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And the disciples heard this and they fell on their faces and were terrified. They had encountered the glory the glorious presence of God. Jesus came and touched them and said, Rise, have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Jesus only. The glory of God in the face of Christ. Better than Moses, better than Elijah, better than the law, better than the prophets. Listen to Jesus. Hear his words. Heed his words. Obey him. Bow down before him. He is the glorious presence of God. And Jesus is the tabernacle. John chapter 1 began this way. He tabernacled among us. He dwelt among us. The word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Tabernacled. So what do you do? Go into the temple. Enter into Jesus. And there behold the glory of God. In all that Jesus is for you. And anticipate His coming in all of His glory. This is Paul's admonition and encouragement to the church in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. It reminds me not only of this presence And purity of that presence, but the place. It can't help but go to John chapter 14. In light of all of this tenting and tabernacling and dwelling, don't be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. Many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you that I go to prepare a place. But if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I know some of us like to think of it as a mansion, but I would rather be inside the house of God than in my own mansion. I would rather be inside the tent of the Lord with my own little room and enjoying His glorious radiance and presence. And the Bible ends in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 3 with this anticipation and promise for everyone who is in Christ. Revelation 21.3 Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Resting, giving, building, indwelling. Well, let's, let's summarize with um, some applicational points again. Resting is not inactivity. Rather, it is activity centered on a relationship with God. Giving. Give of your time, your talent, your treasure, to the work of the Lord with a willing and a generous heart as a joyful worshiper of your redeemer. And thirdly, give, give total obedience. To God's word. Don't go beyond it. And don't come up short of it. In Christ. He's the tabernacle of God. Oh that you would be found in him. Enjoying his glorious presence. And expecting his glorious return. So, Father, this indeed is the cry of our heart. We must confess that we will be distracted with other activities and that we will often attempt great things for you uh, outside the parameters of your guidance and the working of your spirit. We will tend to Hold on tightly with fists to the resources that you have given to us. So by your spirit, Lord, would you make us a different kind of people. People that are being changed by the word. A people that are resting in Christ. A people that are giving for his work in the advance of his name and his gospel. A people that are abiding in him. And now, Lord, as we would come to his table, we ask that at this place, um, you would, again, extend your offers of your grace to us. That we would receive them as we're reminded of all that Jesus has done for us. And that we cannot pay him back, but we can adore him and worship him by a life that reflects His glory. So at this table, remind us these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.